Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Maxwell Peara, former leveraged fin analyst at JP Morgan, talks about how he broke into JP initially as a credit analyst coming out of Fordham. He also covers how he managed to transition to the front office in Lev Finn and why he left to pursue his dream of playing tennis professionally. Enjoy. All right, Max, thanks for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short uh, summary of your bio. Sure. Uh, I graduated from Fordham University back in uh, 2015. Uh, worked in credit risk for my first two years at JP Morgan. Transitioned into leverage finance in the uh, general industries group thereafter. Um, and then this past uh, February, March, I, I recently quit my job to pursue uh, professional tennis as a career. Professional tennis. Awesome. So we'll get to that. Let's go all the way okay. back for starting kind Sounds of good. when you the were beginning. At- yeah, the, well, not the beginning, the beginning. But <laughs> <laughs> let's start. Let's start back at Fordham. So you're there. You're in the city. Um, yep. You're not actually a business major, though. You're or you're a finance major with a minor in finance. Manager, yeah. finance sorry. And you did really yep. well there. So was it always like was finance and Wall Street always kind of on the in the picture? Uh, no, <laughs> to put it quite bluntly, um, you know, to, to be quite honest, for me. Uh, I had a background in tennis. I was went to online high school. I traveled, you know, Europe and South America playing junior tournaments. So most of my high school experience was tennis focused. And then when I went to college, it was sort of a shell shock of, okay, what now? Because my plan had always been tennis first and then school, but but this sort of threw a wrench in it all. Um, why did you change? Why was it? Why didn't you just continue the tennis? Like so, at about sixteen, seventeen, you know, I was decent. Um, about 500-ish in the world in juniors, mm-hmm. but uh, I wasn't sort of getting the results I wanted. Also, it's fairly expensive, you can imagine. Um, so the burden on my parents, it just didn't feel like I was going to make it then. Yep. So transitioning to, you know, getting a scholarship, going through the college route, getting education. Made sense. So yeah, and then finance was, well, my entire tennis team was all business majors. My dad <laughs> was in finance, so it was sort of like, hey, everyone around me did it. So I was just like, ah this is interesting. This is a new field. This is curious. So I sort of was, where are your parents from? I, I do. Am I picking up an accent or no? Am I, am you I... are, but I'm from England, born and raised. My parents are actually both American. Um, they got shipped to, yeah, they got shipped to England, uh, before I was born for my dad's work. He worked at Prudential and then Lehman before okay. it went down. Yeah. Um, but they shipped me over to London in that span. So I was born and raised in England. 
Awesome. Very interesting background. So you're, yeah, you're, you're obviously an amazing player. You're ranked around 500 in the world, but it, you're obviously to, to make real money. You got to be what top, what in the world. So to clarify, I was 500 in juniors. In juniors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah just, just clarify. <laughs> I want to be 500 in professional. Um, yeah. but, but for perspective, um, it costs around 40 to 50 grand. Maybe you could do 30 grand a year mm-hmm. for travel, uh, yeah. equipment, whatever, uh, for professional athlete, professional tennis player. Mm-hmm. You probably need to be in the top 300, maybe 250 to sort of hit that. I'm making maybe 510K. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but once you get to about 200, you're probably making a little bit of money. You have a coach traveling with you. Yeah, and then then it's it's sort of like golf and other sports where it's individual where it's just an exponential growth as you go through the rankings. But like the first fifteen hundred in the world to like three hundred, you make nothing. You make yeah. Nothing. <laughs> so okay, so your parents were like, "Look, you're really good, but I think college as a backdrop makes sense." So yes. everything flipped from tennis, 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 tennis to yeah. So were you not a good high school student, or were you? Uh, uh, sure, let's put it that way. I, uh, I got a three, I think I graduated a three, two, three, one. Um, horrible considering you didn't really care. No, but it was also homeschool. So okay. the standard of, you know, that three, one, three, two, if you compare it to some of like the prep schools of New York or the prep schools of other, you know, cities, it, I, I wouldn't think that I would still get a three, two if I went to high school at the time. Mm-hmm. SAT, I think I was 1300 ish. So again, not awful, but yeah, it wasn't my focus at all. But you're, um, you're clearly a sharp guy. You ended up getting into Fordham. Was it mostly it's tennis? Is that is that how you got in, or is it mostly? Yeah, like, I. Uh, I mean, you would get in probably though with the thirteen hundred SAT and get some good. Yeah, I, I passed enough to get in education with my yeah. with my grades. Um, tennis was sort of the route that that led me to go to that school. Um, and then so, also transitioning from tennis, I was like, I wanted to go to university for education rather than pick a school that has a little bit better of a tennis program. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. you you were in New York. Yep. And you were kind of the best place to be. You're at a, a good school there. Tell me. So all, your whole all of your teammates are in finance and business. <laughs> so they're kind <laughs> of influencing much. you. Like you got to do this. Yeah. They're all going to bold brackets or to like you know. Yeah. No. They bank. pretty much. They pretty much like. Uh, let's see. My roommate went to Goldman then JP. Mm-hmm. My other teammate, who was my year, went to Morgan Stanley. Another one went to Morgan Stanley. Another one went to Wells Fargo. Like they all, like yeah. at least half of my, within a year of me graduating, and went to, if not investment banking, sales and trading, or leverage finance. Is the path for athletes like that that are at the upper echelon or you know college athlete? Do you feel like there's that connection with the alum of that sport that helps you? Like, are you getting recruited, or do you feel like just the kids in tennis? We're just good students too. Um, like, do you feel like the reason they're also successful? I mean, are they going into front office investment banking jobs? Or are they going into like, um, so half and half, um, okay. half the team went front office, half the team didn't, mm-hmm. but I will say coming from Fordham and if we want to go that sort of route, if you compare that to some of the named of schools that are front office roles in these banks, Fordham yeah. is definitely lower on the totem pole. Yeah. yeah no, that's like it, when I was in left Finn, it was, Duke and UVA had like a huge presence. Yeah, yeah, Autumn was like there was me and I think one other person on my floor out of like two hundred people. So it's just sort of like <laughs> I don't necessarily I don't know if it was more just the tennis itself or that tennis attracts people as a whole who are a little more academic focused. Because mm-hmm. I will say that 
in college tennis and other teams, I did notice while I was playing, most of the other teams that we played against, most of the people were in business majors. Very few other tennis players I met were non-business majors. But business is, you know, to be fair, broad. Yeah, business isn't the easiest or the hardest major, right? But you were you did a minor in computer science. <laughs> I did, <laughs> so you get you get some props for that. Um, okay, so tell me a little bit about just the the process. Like, did you get internships? The typical finance yeah. going through Fordham, and then tell me a little about like the recruiting process and how that went. Sure. So uh, I interned with JP in credit uh, my you know, uh, junior senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, the internship itself, I actually. There was some um, case competition that JP Morgan hosted yep. um, at Fordham, and they did it at a few other New York City schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine they have the same, other banks do the same sort of process. Uh, my team ended up winning, and the three or four of us who were on the team got interviews for credit risk through that process. So mm-hmm. I sort of lucked into the internship in the sense of I really only applied to two internships, mm-hmm. and one of them was by default because of the case competition. But why did you only apply to two? Just because, because you got, got it early on. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got the, case, the case competition started pre-interview season. Got it. So I already knew the internship was already occurring. Is and that a tricky time, way for them to get ahead of it? <laughs> they call it a case competition, but then they're recruiting kids if they want. Honestly, <laughs> it wouldn't shock me because I feel like every single year when oh, I look there's back, something get, new. there's something new or I hear yeah. from a freshman friend or like a teammate who's like, yeah, they started recruiting a month earlier and a month earlier and a month. It's like every year it just happens earlier and earlier. And earlier. It's just, it's absolutely insane. It really is, man. It's, it's, yeah, it's like now where diversity recruiting used to happen like sophomore year, it's like happening yeah. freshman year. And now accelerated yeah. recruiting is happening sophomore year. <laughs> like these kids don't even know what they want. Like, they're like 19, 20 years old. They're like, you want to be an investment banker? Like, yeah, um, right. <laughs> join us. Um, anyways, so, so you're there, you're kind of, you, I'll say luck into this internship, but you still have to yeah. perform on the job. Tell me what it was like yeah. on that, that first summer. Uh, it, it was, it was tough. Um, you know, besides odd high school kind of jobs that you do where it's like, you know, you sit at a shop and watch over it or you bartend or that kind of stuff. Yeah. This was a formal job in a bank, you know, suit tie meetings, you know, 70, 80 hour work weeks. Like, you know, it, it's a complete difference of, you know, I've was never that, really experienced anything like it. You know, was that a shock? The hours was that the hardest part, or was putting on a suit the hardest part? <laughs> I don't like wearing a suit personally. <laughs> hey, do I look? Can you tell? I'm in like a t-shirt. I love the hat, by the way. Thanks. Um, but no, the, the the hours weren't. The hours are okay. It really, they really the opinion on the hours. I think when I first went to the internship, and the internship feeling of the hours is very different than the job because the internship was a sprint. It's like you know, there's a time limit. You know, it's going to end. Yeah. You know, there's sort of a goal in place. So you can kind of put the hours in the past and go, eh, whatever. They don't really matter and just grind through it. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest thing that I personally had was just, you know, I came from an athletic background. Being in such a formal environment was, that was my most challenging thing. I just wasn't comfortable always being, for lack of a better phrasing, primp and proper. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And so you felt like a little bit of pressure. This was in New York, correct? This yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you feel a lot of pressure? I mean, I feel like with the British accent, you could just get away with saying whatever you wanted and people would just assume you're proper. <laughs> <laughs> like, it Is that not true? Really. Is that not it, true? No, no, no. Uh, you're not wrong. It does actually help out quite a lot. Um, yeah, it is a little bit of a power. Um, 
but then you have other international kids and you sort of lose your, your special, you know, special status. Fair. Okay. So, so you kind of are coming, coming in, you're working those like kind of long hours at first. Um, yeah. Did you feel that there was, I don't know, how do I say it? Like there was anything special about it to get the offer? Was the return offer rate really high? So out of the, how many kids yeah. were in the credit? Yeah. For, for credit risk, at least the return rate was pretty high. And I have noticed that when I was working at Leffin, it was the same thing where, 90% plus would get a return offer. It really was a more of a, it's yours to lose rather than yours to win. Um, okay. Cause I think that the interview process and the recruiting process itself is so hard yeah. that they sort of wean out anyone who sort of gets at that point probably has enough to get it. Like probably has enough to experience or skill. Let's, to reverse, actually the job. let's reverse then back mm-hmm. to the internship. Um, mm-hmm. So you win the case competition. Yep. Was the interview process still very difficult or did you feel no. like they wanted you? It wasn't. No, 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 no. My interview was, they literally told me in the first two minutes, this is a formality. The case comp was kind of an interview and they thought that was enough to give me the internship. So that's also why I say luck into it because technically I really didn't have a formal but was, internship were, interview. Were your other, the other people on your team also just granted offers? Or was it just no. you? Oh, it was just me. You. It was me and one of, me and one of the kid got, got an offer. And was that because you guys were the only people on your team? You guys formed one team or was it because they liked you? No, that, that was, it was a team of four of us. Um, they just liked you. They liked me and the kid. other kid. Yeah, they Why? just liked us from that process. So let's and talk I think, about that. Why? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, my money's on that me and the other kid that I, and I think is, I don't remember his last name, but his first name was Andrew. When we were talking, mm-hmm. it was, we were typically a little more outspoken. Mm-hmm. when we did that and it was sort of like it was only it was not only just analysis it was we had to present the case as well and i don't quite remember the exact case i think it was a standard finance case where it's like here's a company do you buy do you sell valuation that kind of stuff right. um, and i just think that we you know presented the case and the material you know in a for lack of better phrasing educated setting we were able to speak to the points well did the other kids not talk were they like were they quiet they, talk, they spoke less Okay. And I, and I don't think, I mean, if I was to put my resume up against theirs and I don't remember too well, but I don't think anything at the time would have been like, Oh, that kid's better. Like right. all of our resumes at the time were strong. We were all the same. Like there wasn't like, there was like, Oh, this guy has like a much higher GPA. It's like, no, we're all really much the same spot. I just think it was in the presenting part of it. The two of us sort of just stood up and said more. And I think that was what made them happy. Was that planned beforehand or was it more like a Q and a? portion you know it was more q a so yeah that's yeah. that's what matters is on the on the cuff you guys could handle the yeah and stuff like that so it looked like yeah. you did a lot of the work because you knew it the did. companies because you guys knew <laughs> the companies better and was that true did you guys do a lot of the work uh no it was very split um i i just think that i'm not one to I, i'm one to always speak first um okay even if i'm wrong i don't necessarily mind being incorrect <laughs> i really don't mind i just like to keep I like to answer. I like to ask more questions. I like to just be out and like, Oh, what's this? Explain this, explain that. And I think they liked seeing that outgoingness rather than even if let's say the heavy part of the lifting of the analysis was done by someone else. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's, it felt like if you spoke up more, even if you don't necessarily understand the material as well, yeah, that is a slight edge. Fair. Okay. So you, Thank you for that. Going back. Yeah. So you're back, we're back at the internship. You yes. kind of are grinding, you're doing what type of work. Can you just give so, me an idea like what the day was for an intern there? So in credit risk, most of the internship revolved around what they had these things called uh, 
like review packages. So we'd be looking over companies um, and the balance sheet uh, debt that we had as a firm to them. Mm-hmm. And we'd be basically going, okay, uh, writing up like a 15-ish page or 10 to 15 page package that was sort of a review of the company, its financials, you know, writing out uh, its credit risks, its credit strengths. Where do we see problems coming down the road? Where do we not? Um, that sort of thing. And that was one aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it, so are you looking at um, covenants and like where they make yeah. um, ratios, all that exactly. stuff? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And sort of going over legal documents and taking a look at the company like, all right, they have a two times or three times coverage ratio mm-hmm. given the company performance. Is that fair? Is it not? Should we make it tighter? Is it okay to give them a little bit of breathing room because they're looking to take on more debt? Like right. that sort of um, analysis and that sort of work. Okay. Fair. Sorry. Continue. So like you were doing those, those review packets as an intern, you were helping. Yes. Them. Yeah. Okay. So we had oversight from, you know, an, an actual employee, Who, but who's actually reviewing those like the, the associate. And then we would have sign off. We'd have to then present them to the uh, ED. The executive director. Yeah. And they would then do what with that work? So the, the package itself, uh, and I don't know how much I can get into because it's sort of talking about JP Morgan practice. No, no, sorry. So you don't. Yeah, to, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> you can talk about. Just tell me, like, what was the end goal? Is it to be able to give advice to, like, the? the yeah. Office? So we would work side by side with uh, the front office teams. Yeah. And be like, okay, you guys want to pitch X, Y, and Z. You know, here's we're how, not comfortable as a much, bank. Got it. Here's how much. Yeah. We're, we're, okay. So you, here's how much as a bank we're not comfortable. We are comfortable doing. That's sort and of then, thing. Then and, they'd argue with, the and they'd argue with you, be like, we're going to leave. 100%. You're going to leave the deal. What the hell's wrong with you guys? Like, <laughs> That's a very familiar statement. You're a bunch uh, of statements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's kind of how it went. That's, yeah, that's what I would expect. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of money at stake, you know, huge fees at stake. These banks yeah. front office are probably going to push you guys to go as far as yep. you, as you can. And there's uh, that, that tension, that healthy tension, I'll call it. Healthy um, tension. Let's put it that way. Okay. So you're... <laughs> you're going through this as you're yep. going through the internship. Do you, are you thinking this is my career? This is what I want to do long term. Or you're thinking, Hey, I just, this would be good to take some pressure off my parents, get a full-time offer and get some money. Yeah. More of that. Um, definitely not. I never thought of it as sort of a long-term career. Um, by the way, are your parents now in the U uh, were they in the U S at that point? Or are they still, uh, were they still in the UK? They had just moved back to America. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, around, around you, Did you family? no no they were they're they're in north carolina okay yeah they uh they love it there <laughs> okay fair enough so you're um, going through this you're kind of thinking let's just get the offer you get the offer what does that feel like do you feel good about it or you kind of like this? yeah no I, I i feel great about it i mean mm-hmm. besides the fact that it's your first time seeing a number like a salary number that high like uh, that in itself was like wow that's shocking um what was, what was it if you want to share i think, yeah, I think uh, 80k or eight, yeah i want to say first year honest was 80 yeah and so um, do they give you a sense of a bonus potential for this uh yeah so at least when i said it's changed dramatically since then but when i started we were tied with the front office as well we were all pulled in the same bucket but I know that our bonuses weren't okay. Like so. our salary was tied to theirs and our bonuses were haircutted. They weren't haircutted much, but they were haircutted compared to the front office. Analysts. Like 50% of what they got. Cause they would get a, yeah. a front office, a front office first year was going to get like 80 plus at least like 50 or 60 sometimes. 
Yeah, if they're top bucket, they'll get like 50, 60, yeah. 50, 60. So yeah, and our, our top bucket, I think, was around 40-ish for first year. 40? Okay, that's still... Yeah, so right. we, we were pretty... Like, I, I don't know. I think compared to most of the street credit risk at JP Morgan, again, when I was there, it's changed insanely since then. Uh, um, it's was, was tied. Been cut significantly? Or? Yeah, uh, they've, they've changed payment structures. They're trying to reorg how it operates. I think there was... I think it's in the news at the... Um, you know, they're starting to shift the credit risk jobs uh, to different cities. It's sort of like yeah, they're trying to, yeah. So they're trying to just cut costs where they can. The function itself still works and they're not like trying to reduce it for regulatory purposes, but um, it felt like when I was sort of in the transition of leaving that they've sort of, they've changed the priority of the role mm -hmm. to sort of become more of a regulatory role. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of analysts who went in a sort of a, like I did and a few others did, where it's like, oh, you didn't get front office jobs, do credit risk for a year and jump over. As people noticed, it was becoming a lot more regulatory focused. Kids were like, I don't even want to take the risk of going to credit risk on the off chance that because I get siloed so far away. It can pigeon you. Or, or yeah. even worse, they, you, your job is somewhere else outside of New York. Exactly. You have no yeah. chance to network and actually get another job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, networking from a different city would be very hard. It can be done, but we've seen, yeah. it, we've seen it done many times on Wall Street Oasis, but it, it makes yeah. life so much easier. It's funny on um, this other podcast we're launching soon uh, called Monkey to Millions. I'm mentoring mm -hmm. uh, four kids, now three kids. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them is a freshman. She's a freshman at Fordham, actually. Oh, wow. No way. And I'm just like, you have such an advantage being in New York. <laughs> it does help. It really helps a lot. And she's a freshman. So I'm like, you have like, she yeah. actually doesn't have a ton of time given how crazy accelerated things are, but she already yeah. has an internship lined up for next. Oh, wow. Okay. Next time I'm like, you're, I'm like, yeah, yeah you're I'm like, this is yeah. done. We're done yeah. with you. <laughs> no momentum. You're <laughs> good. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. That's actually really helpful that, that kind of trend, that shift. I hadn't heard that in terms of credit risk and how they're doing. Yeah. I have heard about a little bit about the re moving more of the yeah. staff to regional cities and, you know, Goldman has the Salt Lake city office, stuff like yeah. that. So um, makes sense that other other firms are following suit. So, okay. So you're getting to this, you get the offer. It's mm -hmm. a huge salary for some kids who've never been paid anything coming out. Yep. Of college. Yep. You're psyched. Yeah. You go into now what is junior or senior year with yep. a job in hand. It's a, it's a party. Yep. Last. <laughs> yep. It made senior year a lot more relaxed. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you graduate and then reality hits. You start coming into work. And tell me about that. what's, is it, is it long hours? Is, uh, is, yeah. is it still like the 70, 80 hours? Is it that crazy? Uh, like, I, I was in, I was in TMT in my internship. So yep. uh, technology, um, yep. media telecom. Yep. And I transitioned into hedge fund and asset managers okay. um, in between. Um, so my first, my first day there, it was, um, it was an entirely different team that I had internship with. So that was sort of in itself quite different. I interviewed with them and I like checked the boxes, but that process itself of, all right, it's a new team. I haven't been with you for eight weeks. It's sort of, I'm still feeling, feeling everyone out. Um, and that team, uh, unfortunately was worse hours. <laughs> uh, like the TMT was around 70 ish. This, these were like, you know, I'm working, I think my first year I worked pretty much every weekend. And it was credit risk. It wasn't front office. So that was sort of just a, I'm very confused when I showed up, um, getting that kind of experience. So you were doing um, plus hours a week, pretty consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt that the job itself was good for the first year. Like it really was a good experience. Like you learned a hell of a lot about how companies operate, 
mm-hmm. you know, how to analyze a company truly in depth and actually understand cash flows. You know, we got to look about a lot about the balance sheet. You're, I mean, it sounds yeah. kind of similar to restructure. I was in restructuring at Rothschild. Okay. The last gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I understood like all the crazy debt structures and the exactly. all. Yeah. <laughs> from my side, we would see companies like going like this, like trying yeah. like, all this crazy stuff going on, but I'm sure you saw some crazy structures too and some weird debt. Yeah. Um, I think after about a year and that sort of it had a big turnover rate, um, especially on my team, which was a fig team where it's sort of, it's less corporate finance. It's a little bit more unique and nuanced. Like I dealt with BDCs and private equity firms rather than like a Nike. So it had a very different, cash flow structure and a very different um Financial you know, way of approaching them yeah and very different sort of how you look at them from a legal perspective the legal documents are entirely different because the covenants you would apply don't really apply to a fig company it doesn't you know match up um where's your revenue <laughs> it's like- yeah literally it's like oh yeah it's here uh, that doesn't make sense um but after about a year i started one of my other buddies actually left the team and that got me into like all right maybe i should heavily consider moving and that's sort of what led me into Leadfin. It's a pretty natural progression. A lot of um, Leadfin analysts. Leadfin uh, front office. Yeah, Leadfin front office. Yeah. There's a big, tra- there's a big um, pool of credit risk people who transition into Leadfin. I assume that's tough, though. Is it uh, probably every um, single credit? Does every single credit analyst trying to make the Leadfin? Yes. Especially yes. from your group you mean you're already working the hours (laughs) yes uh the the only helpful thing that i will say is because you're working credit risk you know you work on a lot of debt products yeah so we work quite close in hand with levfin as a whole yes so you are you are building network by being in that role you're you're building a network with your levfin counterparts so that makes the transition a little easier what's the key for people who are internally want to make that move network oh yeah network obviously 100 percent. like that's all of (laughs) It's all, but like, how, how often are you bothering? Like, so you're already working with the Fair. team. So like, are you like just sitting, going into the office of like some MD on LevFin and just <laughs> popping down for a coffee or like, how are you approaching it so that you um, enjoy them and don't seem like a tryhard? Uh, that's a really good point. Um, I can speak how did to you my do, How did you do yeah. it naturally? So my own experience with it was I worked on an LBO of an asset manager, um, like a few months before I left, yep. worked with the associate quite closely, a lot of long nights, a lot of meetings. So I didn't go after some MD or ED who, as you put it, don't want to bug them, don't want to come as a try hard. And also MDs and EDs are very busy. Yeah. They don't necessarily like being bugged by someone so junior. So I used the associate and was like, hey, I'm interested in transitioning. Mm-hmm. And he, and I got a rapport with him through the process and through the deal. And he, you know, he was happy to help out. And then he was like, all right, here's a couple analysts I wanted you to get in touch with. So he gave me a couple of names on his team. And it's sort of like, I just met back and forth with like four or five of his, uh, like his analysts on his team. And then I, then he sort of let me know. He's like, all right, there's a job opening in a month. Apply for that one. You know, I've already got the support of him and like two other analysts and they can then when my resume comes through. And I, I learned all of this when I went to Leffin and saw the process in reverse. But yeah. at the time it was just sort of like, I was told it was a we'll black help. box. Yeah. It's like, I have no idea what's going on. I'll give you my resume. Hopefully it gets in the right hands and it gets sort of put on the pile. That's again, actually it's, getting looked it's, just, at properly. it's just who, you know, and you had that one yeah. buy-in from that one associate that kind of told you, okay, well now go talk to these four people. Exactly. Because if I have a couple more people supporting you on the whole yeah. team, it's done. You're basically. Exactly. Okay. Um, I don't know if you want me to get into, cause I did this, I did his role when I was in Levfin for another credit analyst. 
Yeah. So I know the exact opposite. Yeah. And that. what I noticed when I, when the roles were flipped was that, I mean, there was an analyst opening and it was like a stack of 200 plus resumes. Right. And how do you wean that down? Like, how do you even get the time to wean that down? Especially when, if you look at all the resumes, about a hundred of them have three, eight, three, nines, four O's. Mm-hmm. So then how do you wean down <laughs> these top tier candidates? And then you've got like a bunch of them are Ivy leagues and a bunch of them. Are, it's just like, how do you even approach trying to get the list down to even conduct interviews? And that's where that associate vouchers for that one kid or that MD is like, he went to my school. And then that's when the networking really comes into play is that. But do you feel like the kids in the outside have an advantage over the internal transfers? Like, cause you were going to go reset and go back to first year analysts, right? I did reset and go back to first year. Analysts. You have to, right? They force you yep. to. Yep. Cause they know you know. want it. And they know they can. Force yep. you to do that, they have, so. they have all, they have all the leverage at hand to make you do it. So you, yet even with that, every single credit analyst wants to get it to LevFan or any front office job. And so yeah. they all apply. Plus you have just the crazy amount of applications from externally coming in. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's for a lateral role? Or no, it's for a first year analyst role. Yeah. It's, I guess it's, it's lateraling in the sense of you're moving within the bank, but it's, it was resetting yourself to a first year. No, but like I'm saying, those 200 resumes you're talking about, that like how do you even cut through all of that? Yeah. Is that for just looking at the people? Internal? That was, yeah, that was, well, no, that was for internal and external. That was like internal 200. And then they did a, they did a first wave process of internal yeah. and then they opened it up to external as well. And it was again, another nice chunk of resumes. But then how did you end up in, how many did they bring over? Just one. So I did the process with another buddy on my exact team, which we then got our, our old team kind of got in trouble for because they got mad that Levin was stealing people because there's two of us in the exact like month after month um but it was like it was there was four analyst openings and left fin mm-hmm. um across the three different groups yeah um and it was 800 resumes um and they weaned it down to like i think the first set of interviews was maybe 40 kids okay and so again it's sort of like if it's still you go to if you get selected for the first yeah and it's like if you don't have that associate or that vp or that ed to be like oh he went to my school great or if you've not networked with them there is a high likelihood that your resume never even get looked at like even if you submit it yeah you know there still is a big chance that the staffer doesn't have the time downloads like 50 of the resumes and says okay here we'll start with this stack and we won't even get to that stack you know what i mean yeah so i think it's an important lesson it's who you know always yeah <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Unfortunately, it really is. Okay, it is. It is. Um, do you think it's going to always be like that, or do you think like technology is going to eventually be able to like <laughs> do something? I mean, because a, a resume is just a piece of paper. I mean, there's high. There's a yeah. review. Have you heard of those video interviews? The higher reviews. Yeah, it's I, like I, trying I to read your head. facial cues and stuff like yeah. that. What kind of person? I, I don't know if I buy it, but um, it'd be. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if it will transition in our lifetime. Our yeah, because. I feel like people are too comfortable with that setting. And also it's still a personal business. You still have to have connections with other human beings. And so agreed. the networking word, it's not going away. People are always going to network and they're always going to like hiring people they like. Exactly. Like, how would you be like, Oh, there's that candidate who I don't know who's got a fantastic resume and that candidate who I know has got a good resume, but I know him personally. So tell me about this interview process internally. So you get, you get in, you're one of those 40 kids initially selected for uh, yeah. And does your credit team know about this yet? Or how is it like? Is it- my manager does, not my whole team. I spoke to him. 
I gave him a heads up. To give him, yeah, were you told to give him a heads up, or were you? Did you just do that on your own? I did that on my own because I had a good rapport with my manager at the time. Yeah, but I was then told in the interview process, actually at the end of it, to be like, "We're going to call once it was all like done. We're going to call your manager for feedback. Does he know?" So I would advise if there's people who are lateraling mm-hmm. or trying to get into these jobs, and you have a manager, just read the room. If your manager is very comfortable and you like them, please give them a heads up because they definitely don't want to get a phone call out of the blue mm-hmm. and get like, completely side, like out of the like, Oh, I'm, I'm what? Like, he's leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. But it wasn't necessarily forced. Okay. So luckily he was supportive. Yes. Luckily. <laughs> and um, you make the transition and is it, yeah. Is it very different now? You get into the love end group. Is it similar work or more interesting, more modeling? What's it, what's it like? Um, it's more interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mentioned earlier on, while I was there near the end, the credit role was transitioning into sort of a regulatory focus. Mm-hmm. So while in the beginning it was a lot of corporate finance, by the end I was doing a lot more uh, admin regulatory related work. So my load of actually working on companies and how they operate started to dwindle. So yeah. when I transitioned over, it was a nice refresher. Okay, I'm actually working on companies, understanding them, figuring them out, that kind of stuff. Got it. Um, but I think the biggest transition for me was uh, from Lefin or in Lefin was there was a lot of capital markets work that I had no exposure to before. Um, and in the interview process, they actually asked me about it, and I told them, I'm, I was like, I'll be honest with you guys, I have no idea about anything to do with capital markets, but it's a big reason why I want to come on the team because I don't have that knowledge, and I really want that knowledge. Okay. So what did you feel like? Was it a really steep learning curve again, like right when you joined or did you? Um, the, the quote unquote, the deal material where it's like a company comes in, analyze its cash flows, model it out, pitch the company, you know, go back and forth, create a deck. That stuff wasn't actually that much of a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just sort of the credit. And I think that's why the credit risk role lends itself to people going to Levfin right after it. Cause right. that part of it was kind of very similar. Yep. It was the capital market stuff for me where it was, you know, pitching bonds and pitching loans at certain price points and understanding the interest rates. That stuff for me was brand new. And that's where I had, I think, the hardest learning curve to get over. How would you say people should prep, prep for that? Is there any way to prep for that? <sighs> I mean, I tried. Uh, it didn't help too much. <laughs> but okay. they also fully expect it, which was nice. Like the team was very aware that it is a, very different way of thinking about things. And so they don't expect you to have that knowledge coming in. So they gave you a lot of time to sort of figure it out. Mm. Um, I would say what helped for me was, you know, this typical Wall Street Journal, looking at like bonds and trying to read the economy and looking at interest rates and trying to just trying to really understand the relationship between the debt markets and the economy and how if one changes, the other one goes. Um, I did also have a really good friend at the time who was in research. So I bugged him a hell of a lot with all of my questions to try and feel like, help me understand markets better. Yeah. Um, but again, most of the learning was done on the job. Cool. Okay. So you're, you're kind of there, you're still working long hours, I assume. Yeah, it was kind of fun. <laughs> was it worse? <laughs> was it even longer hours? So it was very sporadic. Coverage definitely had it worst from whenever I worked with them on deals. They had it so much worse. But I would have, let's say, you know, one week would be 60. I was like, this is awesome. But I had no idea going in that it would be a 60-hour week. 
Right. And then the next week was 90. Yeah. And the next week was 105. And then it was 70. It was just, there was so little consistency in it at all that I couldn't go in on a Monday being like, I know how my week's going to pan out. Right. I think that was uh, the big struggle, mainly because we had so many pitches or last minute requests. Yeah. Tell me and about then, that, like the pitch to actual live deal ratio. Yeah. So, it, um, you get some good transaction experience on your resume. Yeah, I, have a, I, have a, I did quite a few. Um, I think also when I did show up, it was a pretty hot time in the market for issuing. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say half my time was pitch work and okay. half the time was deal. And again, that would transition with how the market was flowing at the time. But right. um, and when you're working on deal stuff, you know. It, it wasn't just working on one deal. Typically you had two or three deals at a time to work on. Plus you had like three or four pitch decks to work on, which that's where the hours really came in. Got a little crazy. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I I remember those days. Um, (laughs) Super fun, right? Yeah. It's brutal. Um, So you're, you're kind of, you'd already done a full year in credit risk. You're now kind of, let's say you're, you're finishing up your first year. You get your first bonus is the first bonus. Nice. At least after putting in a brutal year, you're getting a good. Yeah. First year was first year in credit risk. Getting that bonus is really nice. Um, you know, I, do you mind sharing what it was? Yeah. uh, I was, uh, an M plus. I don't know if that means anything. Uh, No, it's like a, uh, Oh, like your middle, middle, yeah. Middle of the pack is an M. Or like, you know, middle of the pack was that. I wasn't the top bucket. I was like plus. between middle and, yeah, I was between middle and top bucket. Sounds like I me. I think my first year, <laughs> I think my first year was 34, 35. And then my second year, I ended up in the same spot and I got 50. Yeah. And then I transitioned over to Levin. Um, so that was getting a bonus definitely helps a lot. Um, I think one thing that all of us did as a group, which I don't advise any people who are currently in finance doing is to calculate your hourly wage. It just <laughs> makes you depressed as hell. <laughs> it just really ruins your mood. Um, oh my God. you have friends who work in other industries working a nice nine to five and they make way more than you on hourly wage. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> it, it, don't do that for all the listeners out there. <laughs> yeah. It just hurts. Yeah, you, you can't look at the. I see it as really a learning experience. So tell me. So it obviously, is. obviously, um, it's not sustainable to keep working at this rate. Um, yeah. For all the most, unless maybe the people who just love, love, love the work and just see yeah. the cause of life, lifetime bankers or BFLs, yeah. um, would would put up with it. But tell me, like, when did you start thinking of, hey, I need to change gears, or I'm looking to do something? Yeah. So that started creeping into your head and kind of how, what you looked at Do you yes. private equity were you, what was the thought process? So, uh, it's a little bit mixed up with the whole tennis thing, but, mm-hmm. um, I sort of, before even getting the left fin job, um, I was in a transition period of, all right, do I stay in banking another year, improve the resume or do I quit now and just start playing tennis? Mm-hmm. And at the time, the way I thought about it was, um, my resume showed credit risk. It didn't show front office. It showed credit risk to JP Morgan. The name itself is good, but the fact that it was lacking front office would mean that, you know, if and when I do come back to the financial world after tennis, it, it doesn't help. 
it's not as impactful as let's say, oh, I got to work in a front office role. And I, I worked in their firm. I 100% agree. You're super smart to do those two years. Of, so, <laughs> yeah. So I was people like, people know you can take, you can, you can take it. You know exactly. <laughs> so a big, uh, probably the biggest reason of why I transitioned to Lefin was it was for me. It's my plan B. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew going into Lefin, I was going to quit after a year, year and a half, or whatever it was, to go play tennis. Okay. I just wanted to have that experience to learn what I wanted to learn, have it on the resume because if I'm being frankly honest, I'm 26 trying to pursue a career as a professional athlete. You have the odds, like the odds aren't really in my favor. <laughs> the odds are super stacked against me. So I tried to be like, all right, if I'm being just realistic, getting that resume experience, getting that you know job experience, getting the network and the connections that I built through the left in position. If I do come back to finance in three, four, five years, or if I go back to private equity or try and go some other role, I do have, like you said, I have the proof that I was able to do it. And it just makes that transition a lot easier. No, yeah, for, for sure. hundred percent. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I think yeah. it was really smart for you to get that front office. Like, I can tell you, you would be in super high demand if you were like, Hey, I want to come back. And do you know how many yeah. people want like experienced analysts with like two or yeah. three? <laughs> you would have no trouble. Yeah. Um, there's tons of lateral positions that, solid boutique banks that would give you a look, you know, so even middle market or even bulge bracket, um, you know, with the proper networking. So, okay. So you're, you kind of had this plan. Did your team know that you were kind of going to end it? So actually funny enough, my credit risk manager knew. Okay. So I was close with him. My team didn't know until about my last six months. And then I told my staffer, um, as we spoke, I think we mentioned it really early on, you know, when they hire you and they make you a first year, they have all the cards to hand because they know you want to transfer. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to risk my chances of not even getting the position by being like, Hey, I'm going to dip in a year. Right. Makes sense. So you yeah. kind of, you walked into your staffers and you said, Hey, I'm going to go play professional tennis. How did that go? <laughs> it, actually my leaving went really well. <laughs> I had like full support from my entire team. Everyone was super happy. Um, it was a nice Wait, it was a nice experience versus, and I feel bad for all of my other friends who left Levfin after a year or two, and they had a really crappy experience in leaving. <laughs> Why? Why was that? Why was there such a bad experience? Um, for them, it was sort of a lot of the senior folks believed that it was a longer than a year commitment. Mm-hmm. And so people who left before two year mark, they just sort of said, and especially if they left to private equity or credit funds or whatever, they just were upset that they sort of put the time and the effort into training them and then you know, they left after a year. So they basically be screaming at you like, you're dead to me. You're dead uh, to me. <laughs> just, yeah, you can go that way. It's, it's, it's some form, it's basically some form of that. <laughs> got it. So they were supportive. So tell me about that first, that first day not going into the office. Well, oh, first so off, nice. well, actually before, before, yeah. tell me about, like, had you been training at all? Had you been playing tennis at all through this whole uh, year? So, like, so yeah. So, so quick, I think your mic might be unplugged a little bit. There's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of feedback or. Oh no! Any better? Yeah, I think it might be your internet connection. It's fine. I can hear you fine. I think it's it's coming through okay. But so, continue. Okay. So tell me about like, were you training during the? I don't think you need to hold it. I think it's just the connection, okay. the internet connection. But got you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, I was training from about. I was training before I left, left, before I left credit, I was starting to train. Um, unfortunately, uh, what a desk job will do to you quite quickly is it will ruin your body. And so within my first two months of training, I got hurt mm-hmm. and I spent 
about a year and a half just going through rehab and getting into shape and getting back into it and that whole nine yards. And so what I think I would you do like tear an ACL or something? No, thank God. Um, it was actually sort of a weird injury. I got tendonitis in my knees and then um, I forget the exact medical phrase, but long story short, my uh, left hip just sort of lost uh, muscle control Ooh. from, I guess, sitting all day long. And so it was just a compounding of like, I wasn't able to control the left, my left hip very well. And we so tell you 39, like, we tell you 39, yeah, everything gets really oh, my, painful. My body's going to, your body's going to be a mess dude, after playing how much tennis you're playing. But yeah. So I spent about a year and a half just getting through that injury. I, I will say that I had to quit because I, I would have loved to have stayed working and practiced and trained because I would have had money coming in rather than where I am right now. Yeah. Um, but I could only do the physical. Like I was in the gym, like let's say my work day was eight to 10. Mm-hmm. I would get up and I'd work out from like five to seven, go to work. And then I work out again from like seven to eight or eight to nine and go back to the office. So that was my sort of my, my, my time in left days. Yeah. My time in left in, I would like not my first few months cause I was just getting the new role, but after a few months I was doing a morning workout and then an evening one, Jeez. or I'd go play tennis and come back to the office or work from home and log in. But I realized that I wasn't really able to get more than five, six hours a week at the absolute most while working. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to quit because there was no way I could make both work. Otherwise I would have loved it. I could have gotten paid you know, close to like low six figures and trained at the same time. It'd been great. Financially, it'd be amazing shape. Yeah. So, okay. So you're, you're basically going through all this. You're, you quit, you get a little injury, you get, you're dealing through that. You're rehabbing. Tell me how's it, how's it going right now? It's going well. Um, I fortunately, again, I managed to get injured, which is, I guess, part of the whole transition. Injured from again? Like, yeah. Different part of the body. I got my shoulder this time. Okay. Um, but you know, I'm on the court two hours a day I'm working out three hours two three hours and like including of rehab as well as like weights mm-hmm. um hoping to play my first tournament my professional tournament March April um but it's been I think the, the biggest struggle that I've had is having a job where you got about you know two and a half three grand a paycheck every two weeks mm-hmm. to now just having negative and just a bank account just continuing to go down so what's the that plan? Is How are you going to find fun transition? Well, partly you... working with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I have a variety of odd jobs that I do on the side. Yeah. You know, I tutor. Uh, I'm working uh, part-time with my cousin in his resale business. I got stuff for you guys. I string rackets. Yeah. Um, but those are all just sort of temporary ones to help. Um, the plan is sort of play the first few tournaments, get a few wins under the belt, and then use both the network that I have built in finance over the years in New York, as well as the network I'm building down here to, you know, help get sponsorships and sort of work through that. Because as of right now, it's just sort of, I'm burning my own savings. Yep. And that's sort of the, the plan going in was to do that. There was no other way to go about it, Yeah. but I will eventually need to have sponsorships who can help support because I can't make enough money on the side as a part-time role to offset the burn, like my expense burn on a day-to-day basis. So tell me a little bit about, um, are there any programs I'd be curious to hear? So there's spot, I know obviously like most athletes are just sponsored, right? Yeah. And so you, the goal is to get up to a certain level where they 
they want to sponsor you because you have an extra exposure yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Is there any program similar to how, have you heard of these things where college students will like sell a future part of their yes. income? Is there anything where yes. athletes can sell a future? They're actually, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I want to say NPR or uh, I've heard of Freakonomics. Yeah. One of those guys had a podcast literally on a company doing this. Yeah. And I've reached out to that company if they would do it for tennis players. Cause right now I think they do, they do baseball and I want to say football and they do grad school kids where they have like a pooled income and like, you know, pay out if one person does really well to sort of help make it so much less of a home run, like a home run chance. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't mention they have tennis, but I did reach out. Cause I was just like, any chance you're interested in doing tennis players, this would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Cause it, it's the same sort of economics where it's like, if you do get to the top 50 or top hundred in the world, you're getting paid. What are you getting well. paid? A couple million a year? Uh, no, yeah. uh, no, depends. If you are a, a marketable brand you could be top 100 and make a couple mil yeah like if you have a good presence good sponsorship you come from a unique country you could sort of be right. that country's whatever um you probably be making million dollar range in sponsorship and prize money in the top 50 you probably yeah. start to that's so that hard money. to get there yeah it's <laughs> where do you think you're gonna get to? the goal is three years to hit about 300 in the world um and that's sort of like my, my marker of, all right, let's evaluate. Should I keep pushing it? You know, if I don't get a 300, maybe I wasn't quite good enough to make it. Um, I would love to be in the top 10. I mean, God, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> but I'm also trying to be realistic as I'm getting older of, I have, you know, age and my body plus finances to take into account. So it's sort of a. See yeah, I goes. guess is that typical like for it to take three years to get if it, where would uh, you rank, yeah where would you rank yourself now? I mean you don't have any sense. Uh, thousand. Around a thousand, I guess. Yeah. Rough like roughly a thousand. Because okay. and it, it does take it does take quite a while. Um, you know, the beginning couple tournaments and like the, especially like the lower ranked tournaments is a huge grind because you have not only do you have professional players who are eight hundred in the world or so like that range of quality. You also have the top talents of juniors in the world who are also trying to break in. Mm-hmm. Then you have like division one players who are on their break trying to play. So that, that whole like lower ranked tournament level of uh, buckets it's a huge variety. It's just such a huge supply of these like very, very good players. Yeah. And as you get higher and higher, it's sort of sure. The players are really good, but there's less of them. Yeah. So it's a little bit easier to sort of that, that first like few years is very hard to break through. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a matter of repeating and repeating and repeating. So that's all theory. I haven't done it yet. So I have no idea. <laughs> so you haven't done it because you just put the injuries you've been kind of. Yeah. Uh, my shoulder won't let me serve. I can't really play a tournament without serving. So I've just been training and training and training and getting into better shape. So do you feel like what happens if your shoulders never recovers or you keep re-injured again? About, uh, that would really suck. Um, <laughs> I think a big reason why I quit was because I just want to walk away from this entire experience being like, you I know I'm it. good enough. Yeah. I went for it. Am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Okay. At least I have an answer. So even if I do manage to get another bloody injury, um, I still think I would go through the rehab process of trying it one more time. Cause I still have enough money to try it, to keep going. Yeah. Um, but the signs, and I don't have any wood near me, but knock on wood, the signs are looking good that this injury, yeah, it's looking good that it should be recoverable. The physical therapist thinks it's not going to be a problem. 
Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of. Did you injure it serving? Home. No, I injured it sort of um, in my first few months after I quit trying to get back into the sport. I was playing a little bit more than I should have daily. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, I used to play four hours a day when I was a kid, but I was a kid playing four hours a day every day for a few years. You know, I quit a job not playing every day, so I just played too much too soon. Yeah, fair. It's like yeah. you're excited. <laughs> yeah, I was you six no hours. <laughs> you have no idea how excited I was after I quit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so tell me about that. Like you, you're, uh, you wake up, there's no alarm to wake you up or you're getting up? No to- alarm. It was great. Yeah. I was super lazy for the first like few days. Didn't do anything. It was fantastic. Yeah. Just hung out, saw my friends. Saw my friends who have nine to five jobs who get out decent hours. I saw yeah. them, which was just, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, after about a week, I started getting back into, all right, let's get the ball rolling. That's next thing. You know? mm-hmm. And are your parents supportive of you? Or do they think you're crazy? Very, very supportive. I lucked out very well with them. Yeah. That's awesome. That's huge. A lot of people can't say that, you know, in terms of having the support from their parents and stuff. It looks like you froze for a second here. All right, we're back. So, Sorry yes, about that. so you had really, I just said it's really lucky you have your parent, parents like that. Yeah, no, um, they've been incredibly supportive and very happy. Um, I have spoken with them and sort of, you know, I quit as a junior because I, I just seen the financial burden it put on them when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, it's just not something you want to do to your family. Yeah. So this time around, it's sort of like I'm doing my absolute best to sort of get outside money and not resort to family. Yeah. Um, so it's just been, it's been nice having a little bit of a, I'm not entirely insane. I do have some people who think it's possible. <laughs> it's possible, man. I mean, if you feel like you have the talent and the, you have, the, it sounds like you have the work ethic. And so a lot of it's going to be grinding. I bet, you know, there are a lot of grinders out there though, right? It comes down at some point, it comes down to like, it's like, it comes down to like yeah. how hard you grind, but then also, you know, technique so much of it's like technique but you started yeah. you started young right uh yeah but it's sort of if i'm comparing myself to other people pursuing it yeah i'm average you know i mean i mean i, I did the same thing i did the same process the yeah. only thing that differentiates me from let's say another tennis player doing this is that i had a quote-unquote four-year gap working in finance so yeah. if anything that's a disadvantage in yeah. the sense of my body is so not where it would be if i did four years the last four years were training fair fair well, talking to a lot of the listeners that are a little bit younger than yourself, maybe in college, do you have any advice for them kind of coming through? Um, as uh, yeah. Uh, if you're still in college, have fun with it. You know, it's, the recruiting process is starting earlier and earlier. And yes, it's important to get the internship to help with the job. But, you know, have that photography class, have that wine class, go have the extracurriculars you'd be surprised and I know it's hard to see it from the perspective of freshman or sophomore that all of your resume needs to be I interned and I did finance and I did this and it's all economics and but you'd be surprised how many interviews that you know I conducted or was part of the in part of the room conducting it where that one personal connection because that one kid did mountain biking or he was part of the ski club or he does art on the side and it's completely non-finance where the VP was like that's fantastic I love you for it and that personal connection got them the job, not because their resume was better than the other kids, but literally because their side passions in life 
got them a job. Yeah, it's so true. The interest sections are are so massive. It's actually, so important. Yeah. The same girl that I was talking about at Fordham, she put yeah. told her, I'm like, where are your interests? Like, she, she had yeah. like something generic in photography. I'm like, what type of photography? Yeah. And she's like, fashion photography. She's like, that got me like an interview. Somebody <laughs> loved that. I had that on. Right. There. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's great. Exactly. Advice. I think that's great advice. Always have an interest section. It should be specific too. It shouldn't be some general yeah. thing like traveling and aware. Yeah, you know, like exactly. Specific. Um, so I think we'll end on that. I think uh, it's good. a really cool story, man. I think uh, people will enjoy it. I think it's, it's one. And I want to I want to get an update from you. I'm going to be following you in your, <laughs> your world ranking as it climbs from yeah. 1,000 up to 500, up to 300. Yeah, right. I think you're going to get there in two years, not three. Um, That'd be great. So Save we'll me some money. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. All right, man. Well, thanks for taking the time and um, let's stay in touch. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.